Let's go to Hebrews 11, but let me read to you, first of all, from the, that background verse where he said in verse 38 of, verse, of chapter 10, he says this verse, but my righteous one shall live by mysticism. Faith, whatever that is. Was, isn't it positive thinking? If I say the moon is made of cheese, if I believe it hard enough, it's cheese. No, no, no. He doesn't tell you what it is, but he's telling you that the righteous live by it. And we'll, he's going to explain more of what it is. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We just had a man during the uh, end of the first service prayed to receive Christ in our office as Edwin led him to Christ. He chose to believe God and received eternal life this morning. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed to perdition. To shrink back and not believe God is to destroy oneself. It's really ultimately to be separated from God. If you refuse to believe God, the only alternative is to be banished from God. God never rewards those who don't want to believe in him. He, he says, you'll never be bothered with me in hell. I, I give you that promise. Hell is the absence of God. But of those who have faith and preserve or save their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So what does it say? Faith makes real the future, and it enables me to have a full conviction about things I've never seen. I don't have to see it to believe it's real. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world 
and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Supernatural faith on display. Three things we want to look at. What is supernatural faith? And he gives a little explanation in verse 1. What is it? Then how does it act? And the rest of the chapter will be telling you what faith does, how it behaves. And so we see it, how it acts and what it can do. It can believe God about creation. It can make one righteous as Abel. It can let you walk with God as with Enoch. And it can let you believe God about a coming rainstorm when it had never rained one drop on the earth. You can believe God for what you've not yet seen and what is yet future. And then he says there's three things about faith you must know. Three things. One, you cannot please God without faith. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Two, you must believe that he is. And three, you must be assured that no one will ever seek God unrewarded. You'll never waste any time seeking God. So what is supernatural faith? The last time we looked, we, there's all kinds of concepts, faith in faith. If I believe it hard enough, strong enough, motivational seminars, I can make it happen, make it happen. You want to remember this line. This is the essence of a biblical definition of faith. Hear me well. Faith is only as good as the object you trust. You need to write that down because you won't remember it. And it's too good to lose. Faith, I've got faith in this. I've got faith in that. Biblical faith rests on this. God is the object of my faith, and what he says, that is what I will trust, believe, rely upon. Now, there's two things about this faith. He defines it as saying, it is the substance of things hoped for, King James. Here, what does it say? ESV says, it's the assurance. That's okay, but let's don't get faith all subjective. First of all, the object is God and His Word. Right. Now, this God and His Word give me substance. And that word substance literally meant foundation, that which undergirds anything. And he said, this faith is a uh, firm foundation that... Uh, Undergirds. Listen, Expositor's New Testament Greek says, foundation upon which we stand, the ground on which one builds a hope. And out of that comes assurance and confidence. God and his word happens to be the substance and foundation of the righteous. They take God at his word. That, that is the foundation of of their existence. And this belief does something. It, uh, it enables them to see the future as present. 
Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. He says, Abraham, I want you to leave Ur and go to a city whose foundations are made in the heavens. They died without ever seeing that city, but they believed the city existed. Why did they? Because faith gave them the foundation undergirding that God was telling the truth. And so the future is guaranteed. God has told us we're going to heaven, and none of you have ever seen it. God has guaranteed to you Jesus is coming again. You've never seen it. You remember what he told Thomas? Blessed are you, Thomas, because you touch the prince in my hands and believe. More blessed are those who believe who have never seen. You don't need to see it for it to exist. I've not seen most of your brains. But by faith, I believe you have it. That's a little rinky-dink illustration, but you get the point. Then he says, it is the uh, conviction of things not seen. And this word conviction uh, is a courtroom term that meant to prove one's case and to win a verdict against someone so as to convict. Is there enough evidence to convict? That's where this term comes from. And what it says here, faith is based upon the evidence being put out. And there's enough evidence that God exists, that God has acted, that God is there, and that he has not been silent to convict and convince my heart upon proof, upon proof that he exists. And then Hebrews is going to go and tell you, let me give you some of the proof that God's been working in the universe, and let me tell you what he's been doing. See, God is there, and he's not been silent. He's been active, active. So the righteous, those right with God, say, I know that the foundation of all that I am is I am basing it upon the words of this God who is there, and I am convinced he has given enough evidence, proof. He has gone on display by creation. What's the problem then? According to Romans 1, man in his rebellion and in his unrighteousness, he has refused to believe in the true and living God. And it says in unrighteousness, he suppresses, he pushes down what can be known of God. But what are you going to do without God? Oh, that's easy. We're going to go into the idol business. And we'll create the idols of our own making. And every man and woman wants a God. And so we've made idols that represent our pleasures, our prosperity, how we want things to turn out. And we pray to wood. We pray to metal. We pray to idols that can't hear, can't see, can't walk. The only place they exist is in our imagination. Thus, listen, they worshiped images. Where did the images come from? I created the image between my ears. 
I will only worship what I can invent. I will only worship what I like. This true God, if he's really there, I can't do as I please. He cares about morals. He cares about business dealings. He cares about life, death. But faith is the foundation to the existence of the righteous. And it, we act on the conviction that he's there and that he has spoken. That's what faith is. The foundation and the conviction that God is there and what he has said is true. He's the only one that cannot lie to you. He cannot. Well, what can this faith do? And he's going to begin. He says, God has witnessed the faith of the Old Testament saints. And so he starts with three saints before the flood. He starts with Abel, one of the first sons born to Adam and Eve. He goes on to Enoch in Genesis 5 who walked with God. And then he starts with Noah and we skip the Noah story from Genesis 6 through 9. So, look at what verse 3 says, what faith can do. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by time, space, and chance. We believe it was created by an impersonal amoeba, gases, bang, something that created us into the marvelous creatures we are. No, 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 no. We call that nonsense. When you don't believe God, you've got to invent something. If you're always going to a therapist that tells you to go out and have a little adultery, you need an affair that'd help your marriage. Well, we said we can do better than that. We've got a God that's trying to get you on his couch. He'd like to tell you what to do. And he doesn't charge. And he won't lie. Amen. He says, by faith we understand God created the visible out of the invisible. Now, that's known in Latin as ex nihilo. God alone can take nothing and just simply speak the word, let there be light, let there be earth, and it happened. This is why, hear me well, young people hear me well. Liberals, philosophy departments, and pagans hate Genesis 1 through 3. They want to rip it out of the Bible. They call it Jewish poetry. They call it mythological invention that all the cultures had a creation story. And so this is the Jewish made-up creation story. No, if the first three chapters of the Bible are not true, none of it's true. We believe the first three chapters God created by a divine word. And he can do that. If you know who this God is and read the description of him, uh, you would see that's not too hard for him to do. So God just spoke it into existence. Now, what's the hardest for you to believe? It came from nothing because there's no one back there. It came by chance. It comes by time. You need a billion years? Well, take a trillion if you need it. It's all a made-up theory anyway. There's no calendars. Throw in an extra billion. 
And all of a sudden, whoo, here we are. And then we, we people who take God at his word says, no, he was there first. He was before all matter, all time, all space, and he finally decided, you know, let's create something. There's the three of us, Father, Son, and Spirit. Oh, we're in a creative mood. Let's create. Well, what are we going to do? Where are we going to find the, the dirt? Where are we going to find the, the matter? Where are we going to find the stuff for planets? No problem. Just a creative word. Let there be light. Let there be planets. Let there be the sun. Let there be the moon. Let there be man. Let there be animals. Let there be an ocean. Let there be the earth. Uh, no problem. We believe it because he's there and he's revealed himself. That's what faith can do. Faith believes in this divine object called God. And then what else can faith do? Verse 4, and Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous before God. Now, this is interesting. Scholars debate, why did God accept Abel and not Cain? And probably one of the more popular views is that uh, Abel brought a bloody sacrifice, whereas Cain brought a grain offering. But there's nothing in Genesis that condemns that, them that way because Cain was an agriculture man. Abel was a sheep herder, raised livestock. And there's nothing in the Genesis narrative that tells you that the quality of the offering was the issue. The difference in the issue is one came by faith, and another just came out of perfunctory obligation and did his religious thing and went home. But according to 1 John 3, he was of the evil one, and he hated his brother, and he killed him. You see, the man was not right with God, but he was still religious. He did his religious duties. You know, he, he gave him the offering. He joined the church, and if you let him, he'll get on the board. The devil's got a lot of his kids on church boards. He's got a lot of them running churches. He said in Revelation, they're coming from the synagogue of Satan trying to take over your church. The devil goes to church, too. The devil didn't fall in the bar room. He fell in the worship center of the throne of God. Right there. He goes to church. Some feel like he fell in the choir. I'm not sure about that. It's interesting in Proverbs 15, God said, the sacrifices of the wicked are an abomination to God. The sacrifices of the wicked. What do you mean? I bring the animal sacrifice. I do the alms. I do what the law says, but I'm still wicked in heart. Externalism will never get you to heaven. God doesn't look on what you do, your deeds. He first of all says, do you believe me? Are, are you coming in faith? 
Faith made Abel righteous, and he's going right, right off of Hebrews 10. My righteous one shall live by faith. And because we have no revelation in Genesis 4, 1, you must bring this kind. In Leviticus, they were accepted for bringing grain offerings. You read it. You could bring grain offering, and God would accept it if the heart was right. A scary verse to me is Proverbs 7, where a seductive, immoral woman, a married woman, she, uh, to, when she makes her pray and makes a play for a man on the street, she says to him these words, uh, Come home. I've got the bed prepared. My husband is on a business trip, and I've paid my vows. I've done gone to church, and I took care of my religious duties. Now let's do a little sinning. Let's commit a little adultery. It's in Proverbs 7. We've never had such a day where so many people are playing religion and still living like hell. They don't know who to sleep with. They don't know where to hang out because they don't know God, but they know how to play the religious game, and it won't get you to heaven. My righteous ones have been saved by faith, not by religious external religion. Do all the religion you want. The devil is the author of the world's religions. He's someday going to raise up a man called an Antichrist, the beast of Revelation 13, and the earth will wonder after the beast and worship him. You see, the greatest way to destroy the way, race is get rid of the true God, but still give the people someone to worship. And he will accomplish that in the tribulation. Well, you can be right with God only by faith. Then he mentions Enoch. Enoch walked with God, and one day they were walking, and God finally just took him and took him from this earth, and he went right to heaven without ever dying. An amazing thing, that a man before the flood could walk with God daily by faith. By faith, you can walk and have fellowship with God. The little Sunday school girl was trying to tell the story about Enoch to her parents, and they said, tell us the story. And as she related the story, she said, one day God and Enoch were walking together. And as they walked, they walked so far that Enoch said, I must go. I've got to go home. And God said, well, we're closer to my house than yours. Come on home. And just translated him just like that. It's an interesting thing that at 65, he fathered a guy by the name of Methuselah. 969 years he will live. And when he dies, the flood comes. McGee often used to say, I think that Enoch begun to walk with God when that baby boy was born. I've heard him say, if a baby can't turn you towards God, there's no need of this skinny preacher trying. Nothing ought to talk to you louder than the children God puts in your arms. I've known many a rowdy who said, I didn't go back to church until I had children because I didn't want them to grow up to be like me. 
I didn't want them to grow up and do what I did. And so I went back to the church. God, save my boy. Save my girl. Don't let them fall into the lifestyle I fell into. And so Enoch, whenever at 65 years of age, he began to walk with God. And by the time he was 300 years old, God says, you might as well come on home, Enoch. And he just caught him away. By faith, he walked with God every day. Did you know what the Bible said? Walk by faith with God. Walk in the Spirit with God. Walk in love. We are a people who by faith walk with God daily. We have fellowship with him. And John said that. You have fellowship with God. And Enoch is this great example. But it all came because he simply believed God. Then Noah. Oh, my. Noah. Can you imagine living next door to a man working on a boat for 120 years? Just think if that was your neighbor. So you know he's had a heat stroke. Something's wrong. We don't even know what rain is. We've never seen rain in our life. What rain? What's rain? And this guy says it's going to rain and it's going to be a flood. What's a flood? Right here, who knows where they were. But, you know, still plush, nice rivers. God watered the earth with dew, no rain. And Noah heard God say, build an ark. And faith made him say, if God said it, there's going to be a storm. If God said it, I could see 120 years in the future. All I got is word from God to build an ark. By the way, here's the blueprint. This is how long it's to be, how wide, uh, all the animals I want to get on board with you. Uh, some animals, seven of some animals, two ordinarily. Why seven animals? Did you ever think about that? You're going to make a sacrifice when they land. You're going to kill off enough. We still need two to keep it going. Now imagine, I can imagine Ham and Japheth and Seth, they've all gone into business and left home. And all of a sudden, somebody comes into town and says, there's an old man living up here by Eden, and you won't believe what he's doing. They said, yeah, what is it? He's building a boat. Can you believe that? Well, man, guys like to go fishing. No, 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 no. This is a 400-foot boat. It's so wide, three stories high. He's been working on 120 years. What, what was his name? Noah. Well, that's my old man. He said it's going to rain. Yeah. I'm selling my business. I'm going to help him on the ark. If he said it's going to rain, it's going to rain. And a flood's going to come. That won't be a local flood. Had a man fly me over the Rockies, and that area we were right out of Denver, some of those Rockies, 10,000 feet, 9,000. I'll never forget him saying, we get seashells out of these mountains. We get fish fossils out of these mountains. Now, friend, 10,000 feet deep isn't a local flood. Try that. 
10,000 feet, as high as a mountain could get, Himalayas, Rockies, you'll find sea life there. How did that get there? Came from a flood. And Noah worked on it for 120 years. And guess what? The rain came, and he and his household were saved. And some of us have been preaching the gospel for a long time. It's been going out, and we've been saying, rain's not coming, but fire is. Fire's going to come on this earth. And according to Peter, in a loud noise, the whole universe is going to melt. And everything men have lusted for, built for, is going to wind up on the giant ash heap. And God's going to ignite it. And only what's been built on Christ will last. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. All of the ground is sinking sand. Well, faith, this biblical faith, lets me be at ease about creation. God, I believe by your description that you made the earth, you said you did, all the stars, the planets. Settle, settle. I like apologetic books, but you don't have to send me anymore. I'm convinced. I believe it. Abel, you are righteous with God, not just over your offering, but God accepts everything about a righteous man when he's walking by faith. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Romans 14, 23. Enoch, I want to walk with God. He says, if you live by faith, you can. Noah, I want to work for God. You can if you believe his word. Don't worry. It will happen just like he said. The future is as real as the present for faith has given substance to it and given me a full conviction about what's coming ahead. Not a bunch of babbling politicians that don't know anything. The professional liars many times. I take the word of the living God. And there's three things you need to know about this faith. Three things. Verse 6. Number one, it will be impossible for you to please God if you don't believe him. God can do nothing for you so long as you will not believe him and treat him as though he's lying or as though he's not to be taken serious. What does it say? Verse 6. And without faith, this kind of faith, it is impossible to please him. Isn't it amazing how many of us, even as Christians, struggle to believe God at times? You can believe him for eternity. You'll fight me all day over the fact you have eternal life and worry yourself sick about tomorrow. Do you know any Christians that ever worry? But let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Then you just raise your hand. How many of you ever worry, doubt, discouraged? Where is he? When will it happen? What? Uh, uh. We all battle with it. Don't worry. I take care of sparrows. I take care of flowers. If you just put me first and walk by faith, I'll take care of you. Boy, it sounds so easy. But he said, if you don't believe me, 
you won't have eternal life. And if you refuse to believe me, you'll never experience the kind of life I intend for you to live. Walking by faith. You know, I get tickled with people, especially the planning type. They want me to line out years ahead. Go ahead. I'm walking by faith. Oh, you can make a plan. Proverbs says you can make a plan, but commit it to the Lord, and only he can make it come about. We walk by faith. Two, you must believe that he is. How much proof do you need for God's existence? He said, I've given you creation, and you can't explain it by natural means. And I wasn't waiting for Charles Darwin to go to the Galapagos Island and figure out these big turtles had to come from some natural process. I told you I created stars, seas, tides. You know, being in Kauai, we were close to the shore, and we just asked ourselves, why? You know, at some nights when I got ready to go to sleep, I thought, what if a tsunami comes in tonight just to go to sleep on it, you know? just to relax, justify the volume. Uh, you know, what about, well, I, I, I drown. But the other question is, what makes it stay in those boundaries? And then all of a sudden we say, oh, the tide's out. Have you ever asked yourself where all the water went? <laughs> Do they just meet out in the middle and kiss each other? You figure out tide. Oh, it's out. You go over in the bay, it's just mud flats. Some days you go by there, you just see the mud flats. Well, where did all the water go? Oh, it's still out there. Well, wait, wait. Did they, is there an address they meet at? No, they said, we'll take it out. Well, when will it ever come back? But if it comes back, what if it doesn't know when to stop? Who tells it to stop? Darwin? Somebody must be on duty. God says it will stop. I will set the boundaries of the ocean. Oh, you just take that for granted, don't you? Go over here to one of the labs. They figured that out. No, they didn't. God set the boundaries. God said, you must believe that I am. That the universe is ordered by the word of God. I'm holding everything together. Some have wondered why atoms stay together. Whenever things about them, they want to go apart. And yet Colossians says he holds everything together by the word of his power. He's the binding force. The universe wants to just explode, wants to separate, go apart. And God speaks the word, hold still, Adam. You will explode when I want to destroy all of creation. In the meantime, I will bind you together. By the power of God. If you've got the God we believe the Bible reveals, you can believe this and just kind of yawn. I believe it. You're a literalist. Yeah, I am. If he said it, I believe it. Amen. Then he says, you must believe not only that if you don't come to him by faith, you can never please him. Do all your religious works you want. Do all the good stuff. If you're not trusting in Christ 
and trusting in God alone. You can never please him no matter how nice you are. Two, you must believe he's there, that he really exists, that he's not a phantom. And three, you must believe that he will reward anyone who seeks after him. You can never seek God and him not reward you. He's there, and he takes serious anybody that seeks him. It's why he said, seek the Lord while he may be found. He says in Psalms 9:10, a favorite verse, Carol and I often quote each other, he has never forsaken those who seek him. Never. I was studying some years ago in this passage, and I never can look at it anymore without that study and that uh, illuminating time of this verse. And I've read commentators on it, and so many of them don't even touch the rewards those who seek him. They just kind of they go on. I, I, I looked at about 10 commentaries before this message. They, they never even mention the rewarding. But the word rewarding there is a word to pay wages. Uh, he pays a wage is the idea. No one goes unrewarded who seeks God. Now, God made real to me in my study, and it just came out of nowhere, and I can never talk this verse without going back to that scene. I must tell you, it's about 1950. I'm six years old. I had had a terrible fall. I jumped when I was two years old, did a serious injury, and I underwent over the course of the years six to seven surgeries to correct one childhood jump. And I wound up in crutches and braces with my right leg. My leg was four inches shorter and, man, had all kinds of problems. And I'm on these crutches and these braces. They were heavy. They were on the outside of my leg. Had to sleep in a crib when I was young. Should have been out of a crib, but they didn't want me to fall out of the bed with all this equipment on me. So I had all kinds of uh, struggles overcoming this fall. And so I'm a kid on crutches and braces for at least two years. Crippled children's fund is taking care of me, doing different things. But I would uh, play out front with the kids. And I remember when my dad was being let off on Carlson. Carlson is south of Cutting in those days. And he would walk to South 29th Street in Harborgate War Housing, not far from Butler and the Ford plant in the Bay. We were down that far. Uh, when we say South Richmond, we mean the next stop is the bay. And my dad was a whistler. And I could often hear him coming. And uh, he was, had this routine of walking on down that street. Sometimes he usually drove to work, but he had a ride with a guy letting him off. He'd be whistling singing on the way home as Howard's got music from him. And um, I remember, I thought one night, I'm going to meet Dad at the railroad tracks right next to Harbor Gate School. I was forbidden to cross the tracks because kids had been killed on those tracks. 
and I was on braces and crutches anyway. I was forbidden I'd be spanked if I went any further. So I started, when I figured about that time period, I would make the walk, and I'd be at the tracks. And here he come, wearing his khakis, buttoned to the top, an old iron worker's hat, and an old metal lunch bucket. He's coming home. He's a-whistling. He's doing whatever. And so I'm there at the tracks. And, man, he's surprised. And he picks me up, crutches, braces and all, and hugs on the boy. Why, son, thank you for going out of your... What, what are you doing? Well, I've been watching when you come home. I wanted to meet you at the tracks. I wanted to walk home with you. So he reaches in his pocket, and he gives me 10 cents. Now, friend, in 1950, you can get a Coke in a bottle for a nickel. Do I have a witness? And then, with five cents left, you could buy enough mint juleps to ruin three sets of teeth. So you look at us, Howard, we all got lots of dental work because we ate a lot of penny candy. I hit the jackpot, and all I wanted was my dad. Well, the next night, you know, I did good the first night. I might as well try this again. <laughs> the next night I go down there, and I'm waiting for him. Hear that whistle. Comes up. You won't believe it. But he said, son, open, the, open my lunch bucket. I had been climbing steel all day, working like a horse. And I opened the lunch bucket, and there's a half a piece of pie in there. And I said, Dad, you didn't eat all your lunch. He said, oh, oh I ate all I wanted. I said, well, what, what's, what's this? He said, that's for you. I was thinking of you today. I thought if you'd be at the tracks, I'd share my lunch with you. I came the next night. He saved me a piece of fruit. Every night I went, and he's on that job, I got something. You know what he's saying? No boy of mine will walk down half a block on his crutches to see his old dad and not be rewarded. Huh. Now what God is saying in Hebrews eleven six, you won't ever waste your time seeking this God. He wants to share his lunch with you. He wants to share what he's got. And we flitter around, we flitter here, we go there, we go there. And sometimes we get uh, famished in our soul and we feel hungry and we feel unloved. And he said, I haven't seen yet the tracks lately. We haven't met in prayer in the Word. What's wrong? Why? Now, now the mistake we've got today is seek God and you get a brand new car. God knows if you want the lunch bucket or if you want him. If you want him, he said, no one will ever want me and not be rewarded. I'll pour more. C.S. Lewis said, take Jesus and God will throw in heaven for free. 
take Jesus, and he'll throw in heaven for free. Are you walking by faith? Is it a faith that makes you seek God? It's not a faith that I received Jesus and now forgot about him. I can walk off. Oh, no, no. It's I've begun a lifelong showing up. Seek his face. Seek. And I tell you, I want things that only he can give. And all he says is show up. I asked Ron Ritchie one time when he was at Peninsula Bible Church. I said, how do you explain the book of Acts? He was studying the book of Acts. And I said, well, what are you getting out of it? Now listen to what he said. He said, only two things in all of the book of Acts. And I said, what's that? He said, the formula seems to be show up and Holy Spirit. We do the showing up, and the Holy Spirit will do the rest. Amen. You remember what he told Mary? Mary, I want your body. I'm asking you permission. Since I don't rape, even though I could speak you out of existence, 14-year-old Jewish girl, I want your permission to use your body. I want to bring my son into the world, but I won't do it to a young girl that doesn't give me permission. And she said, I am your servant, Lord. Do as your word is said. Guess what? She couldn't perform the miracle, but she could be available. And all I said to God this morning, I said, God, I can't do the miracle of what needs to happen in hearts today, but you got my body. And that's what Romans said, give him your body. Yeah. Just yield your body. I want, I'm yours, Lord. I want to seek your face because what you've shared in the lunch bucket with me over 50 years has been joy unspeakable and full of glory. Just seek him and you won't waste your time. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can trust you. And now we're going to remember a Christ that we've not yet seen, a Christ that said he's coming, and a Christ that said in the upper room, even though you've not seen me, you can love me. And even though you've not seen me, you are blessed. For Thomas believed upon seeing, but I will save millions of people who will believe in me over 2,000 years without ever seeing me. But someday our first glimpse will be we will be walking, and all of a sudden we will be gone. We will be with Christ. Or we might go by way of the grave, and the trump of God will sound, and our body will stand up in the grave, but we shall see him. I hear old Job say, though the skin worms eat my body, in my flesh I shall see my Redeemer, and I shall look upon him and not another. Oh, Lord Jesus. Faith has made you real to me. You're as real as any substance in the room. I have a conviction proven by the Word of God, proven over and over that the truth you have revealed is true, and we can bank eternity on it. Oh, we thank you. We have a house full of people that have been made right with God by faith alone. We say by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, we've been saved. Not the works of my hands. 
I will not work my soul to save, for that my Lord hath done. But I will work like any slave out of love for God's dear Son. Oh, Jesus, you've done it all. You've done it all. We simply believe you. We trust you. We're going to rely on you. Even when the world's on fire, we're counting on you. We're counting on you. We want our brothers to come, and we will serve communion at this time. Please come, and I'll lead us in the number.